Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, this is Glendon Rush, uh, former Mets pitcher, and you're listening to The Jake Brown Show. And welcome to uh, The Jake Brown Show, CBS Radio's Play It Podcast Network, iTunes, and Spotify. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jake Brown Radio. Follow our show at Jake Brown Show, we got real creative on that one. Joining us now is a guy. I was a Mets fan. I became a. I was for some reason I was a Yankee fan first. I don't know what was in my head. I guess I, I and I got to see a World Series in '98, '99-ish, mid to late season. I became a Mets fan. This guy was on the team, and then the next season helped them win a World Se- or get to the World Series. Let me not get ahead of myself. I still haven't seen one of those uh, World Series titles rise yet. Hopefully. In the next couple of years, definitely not this year, is uh, joining us now is the advanced a pitching coach in the Padres organization with the Lake Elsinore Storm. He's a former Met, Royal Brewer, Cub, Padre, and Rocky. Glennon Rush joins the program. Glennon, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. Thanks for having me. Glad to uh, get a chance to chat with you a little bit. Yeah, and you're you're having a nice day off here. You are inside, I hope, where the solar eclipse has yet to hit over there solar eclipse is i'm I'm, it's terrible it's worldwide like is it only it's everywhere right it's everywhere (laughs) it's um it's already passed us in california it wasn't uh too much to write home about here did you Um, get your glasses did you wear the glasses uh, i didn't i did not i kind of just sat inside and watched it get a little dark and then i figured i'd just watch it on tv because uh or or twitter or instagram i'm sure i'll see a million pictures of it later is it in is it it's like on the news right now like what did they show in the did they have like a camera up to the sun yeah they did they kept showing it on the news so you could eat it was actually easier and safer just to watch it on tv but uh the people up there in oregon were the first i guess where it came straight across but they got to see the the full eclipse california here got it got a little uh little dark but not not much yeah, apparently, I mean, they're streaming it live on Twitter. That's it's too much for me to follow. I mean, oh, it's science, man. I'm, I was never a science guy. Science was probably my worst subject. I was a math guy, English, a little social studies. But once you got to science and, and chemistry and biology and all this stuff, it been dissecting pigs, and it's it's too much uh, to handle. But anyways, we're on Solar Eclipse Day with Glenn and Rush right now. <laughs> Um, the take me back, and we talked about it a little before we started here. You get there with the Mets in '99. You guys, I mean, take us. We'll start with '99. Just for me, as an eight-year-old, I remember just being so sad at at how it ended and the bases loaded. Obviously, the you had the. We'll start with the Ventura Grand Slam single. Where were you? Take us through that scene and Todd Pratt Pratt kind of uh, ruining a chance at four ribeye steaks for Robin Ventura. Yeah, well, I was actually, um, gosh, where was I? I, w- I was, um, what, after I got traded there, um, we were there throughout the regular season, the extra guys that weren't eligible for the playoffs. And then we were at home um, for the playoffs. So I watched all those games uh, 
on TV. Uh, I got to see the, you know, the Todd Pratt Homer and everything else. And then uh, not, not until the next year was I actually a part of it. So I was, I was on the roster, but not eligible for the playoffs. So I kind of watched it like every other fan did that year. 2000 comes along and that team had some great moments. I mean, Mike Piazza was the heart and soul of that team. Um, you had a pretty good season. I, you probably had your best overall year. Um, 11, 11, 4.01 ERA. Uh, you made 30 starts, um, had a, re- had a good season and a rotation that was it, it, the thing about that Mets team. And I'm sure you could attest to this. It wasn't like a superstar loaded team. It was kind of a ragtag team. You had Daryl Hamilton, Derek Bell, Daryl Hamilton, rest in peace, by the way, Derek Bell, you had Jay Payton, Timo Perez, Mike Bordick comes along, um, Todd Pratt, I mean, uh, Todd Zeal. I mean, you, the heart of the soul of the team is really like Piazza, Mike Hampton, Edgar Alfonso. Um, but a lot of middle-tier kind of guys that came together under a good manager that year and Bobby Valentine to win. Uh, kind of take us through that season and just uh, not on – I mean, you don't look at them as the Dodgers of today because the Dodgers roster is stacked, but the Mets found a way to get to the World Series and play the Yankees. Yeah, we, we were um... – a team that that gelled together from a I guess a lot of different avenues really when you look at the the veterans um, we had some guys that were definitely towards the end of their career we had um, a few young guys including myself that it was kind of our first taste of being in that that playoff hunt and you know I, I think everyone just really meshed well together and we played played well as a team throughout the season and you know, we had some injuries that hurt us too. We, you know, we lost Ray Ordonez. We, we lost Derek Bell, who had a, a incredible leg. first half that year. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, filled in with, um, you know, Timo came, uh, Bubba Trammell came. Uh, we got Rick White in the bullpen. We got uh, the addition of Mike Bordick. So you know that at the time, you know, Steve Phillips, the GM, made some made some moves that weren't necessarily. Uh, marquee huge trades in the market but they they made our team consistent and better down that stretch and we were able to we were able to do it and i think you know every every good team you always talk about is pitching and defense and we no doubt had a uh, quite a pitching staff and a, and a good defense on the field behind us was mike piazza the leader i mean which guy in that team you also had john franco on there uh, armando benitez you had a couple arms in the bullpen pat mahomes whose son is going to be a future star with the Chiefs potentially, but do you look at Piazza as the leader in the face of that that, that squad? Yeah, I think it was a combination of, um, you know, on the position player side, it was kind of Mike's team, you know, with Robin Ventura and Todd Zeal, kind of that trio of guys kind of leading the uh, the position player side of it. And, and on the pitching staff side, it was, it was definitely Al Leiter and, and Johnny Franco, I felt like, uh, that were, were kind of our leaders and and uh, took care of everybody. And, and it was it was fun to be around. And, you know, when I got that that few weeks, little taste of it the season before in 99 when I showed up there to have all those guys on that staff and at that time including, you know, Kenny Rogers and Oral Hershiser and, and a tremendous amount of experience and veteran leadership – um, taught me a lot, even though I, I wasn't uh, participating in the action. I was watching and learning, and, and I think that really helped me the following year in 2000. 
I always remember the, uh, I believe it was June 3rd. I'm not even looking this up. I just, I told you, I, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but I remember weird dates, especially with the Mets and, and games. And I talked to you, your moment, 2001, we'll talk about you at uh, that one. I just looked up the date because I wasn't sure if it was 2000 or 2001, but I think it was July 15, 2001, where you and Benitez combined for the one hitter um, on a doink single by Trot Nixon, a third base in a game I got there in like the fifth inning with my dad and uncle. But 2000, a year before, um, June 30, 2000, was fireworks night. I always remember this one, too. It was 8-1 Braves, two outs, bottom of the eighth. I feel like Gary Cohn right now doing the play-by-play. Um, I brought my Walkman to a Chinese food restaurant with my parents, and I'm, I'm watching the TV. I'm listening on the radio. I get home in the bottom of the eighth. And then the magic happens. The 10-run inning capped off by Piazza's three-run homer, all done with two outs. Do you remember that game and that memory? That was just a wild game. I do. And, I, I you know, the one thing I really remember that, that night was you, you can feel when something like that's happening, you know, it, it kind of builds the momentum and, and things start going your way. But the one thing I remember is that was, the, one of the loudest times I remember hearing Shea, mm-hmm. and I know it wasn't, I, I, I'm pretty sure at the time it wasn't a full house because we were down 8-1. to one. It was Beat late. Beat the traffic, yeah. You know, I think some of the people had left. and But it, I remember it felt like Shea was shaking. That's that's how loud and excited everybody was there to watch that unfold. And I believe it was Terry Mulholland on the mound that, that uh, Mike hit the homer off of that was an absolute rocket. Uh, down the left field line, but yeah, I, I remember that game very well, and, and those ones you don't forget, and uh, they're fun if you ever get a chance to go back and watch them. It'll still make the hair stand up on your arm, you know, thinking about kind of those those exciting moments that you get to experience in baseball, and that's one of them for sure. I mean, what's the feel in the in the dugout that inning? Like, you guys are down, and I mean, it's June, so it's like if you lose, it's whatever, but. You're down and out. It's eight one, and then that magic happens. I mean, what's going on with like what? Do you remember what you were doing and what guys were doing in the dugout at that time? Uh, I think everyone was just, I mean, going crazy. What you know, a normal a normal game, like you said, it, it's a June game that maybe doesn't mean a whole lot at that time, but sometimes they do at the end of the year. You know, those mm-hmm. those ones that you squeak out like that can change the season sometimes, and and sometimes send a team in the complete opposite direction. You know. Losing one of those games can send you in a tailspin, and winning one of them can put you on a winning streak. That happens as well. Yeah, and, and you said Shea shake, shaking. It actually was built like that to shake. It was weird. Um, I went to the Game 6 NLCS 2006, and Reyes hit a leadoff homer, and I'm sitting below the mezzanine in the blue seats in Loge, and you look up, and it literally did shake. The the I mean, it felt like it was going to collapse, and it was so old, and it was out Shea. It was kind of a dump, but it was like the lovable – dump but it was just so old that it did shake and it's isn't that crazy when you're playing and you just feel a building shake like that because now you i don't think any stadium or arena would be built like that but since this was built in the early 60s uh it's rocking and you're thinking the whole place is going to fall apart yeah that that place could rock there was no doubt i mean some of those you know those rival games with with the yankees and uh with the red sox um, I, I distinctly remember some of the Braves games. I mean, it was that place was as loud as any place I've heard, uh, other than you know you go back to some of the indoor places in Montreal or, or the Kingdom in Seattle before they got rid of that. But man, that Shea could get as loud as any place I remember. Yeah, I have a shirt that says "I miss Shea." It was a shithole, but it was our shithole. 
Um, yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it didn't didn't offer the best amenities, but the color the color scheme was cool, and it was obviously a lot of memories created there. The 2000 playoffs had a lot of moments as well. You had the Benioc Bayani homer. Another mo- like it's so weird. I, you, you always remember those special moments. You remember where you were. I was at my brother's marching band show, listening on my Walkman as they're like announcing the marching band winners for the night or whatever. And I'm just screaming because Agbayani hit a walk off against the Giants. You had uh, in San Francisco John Franco on a clip that me and my friends were watching the other night. Clearly was a ball in today's game, but they called it strike three on John on Barry Bonds from Franco uh, to beat the Giants. Uh, you, you went 4-1 against the Cardinals. Uh, take us through that playoffs. World Series, obviously a disappointment, but people forget that all those games were really close, and the series was probably a little bit closer with maybe a Timo Perez right running move uh, in the World Series from being a six- or seven-game series. Yeah, I think I definitely think the World Series was far closer than, than uh, you know, a 4-1 to one series. You know, we, we unfortunately – lost game one which was a heartbreaker that we had the lead going into the ninth um but i i think if i remember correctly we lost four games by a total of five runs i think in that series and and you know to be that close and and to me it was one simple thing that those guys killed us on and that was uh stanton nelson and mariano in the pen we couldn't score off those guys Mm -hmm. so each time they got the lead those guys shut us down and and we couldn't we couldn't recover from it you know as far as the the San Fran series was kind of a whirlwind for me the first time being in the playoffs and uh seeing the the intensity of those games and um I got I got in there for one outing in the in the San Fran series and then ended up pitching a couple times in the in the series against St. Louis and actually was fortunate enough to get a win in one of those games in the NLCS out of the bullpen uh, and then the World Series, I got to pitch three three times. So uh, for me, you know, being a starter the whole season and then going into the bullpen, so being a fifth starter and going into the pen, it's kind of unusual to get that much work in, in the playoffs. But I was uh, fortunate enough to, to get in there a bunch. Was it weird for you going to the bullpen for the playoffs and not starting? Uh, it wasn't. No, I, I kind of expected that, to be honest. I mean, I – you know, being a fifth starter the whole season and, and having the staff that we did, you know, a lot of times you rely on three starters in the playoffs. So for me to think, you know, being in the five hole that I was going to start, I really I really didn't even cross my mind. So when Bobby V told me he was going to use me out of the pen and that I would be a great weapon out of the pen, that's that's what I was ready to do and completely content with that. How was Bobby V as a manager? Because Mets, we loved him then. Um, but then he wasn't blackballed from the league, but he had no success with the Red Sox, and then after that he hasn't been back, and people don't really expect him to be back. How did you personally like uh, your time being managed by Bobby V? I really enjoyed Bobby a lot. He was he was very, very good to me, and, and uh, you know, for a, for a guy who came from Kansas City and, you know, kind of that Midwest atmosphere to all of a sudden being thrust into the spotlight of New York. I didn't know where to live. I didn't know where to go. I ended up living up in, you know, his hometown of Stanford, Connecticut. He kind of helped me out that way and um, took care of me as a young guy, I guess you would say. And, and, you know, it was very fair to me. And I I thought um, that was one of the times that I remember coming into spring training in 2000, uh, battling with 
with a handful of other guys for a roster spot, I, I felt like it was the most fair um, evaluation and, and competition that I've ever probably been in in baseball because, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of things that come into play with politics and, and contract situations and everything else, and it was kind of a straight-up situation of, hey, whoever comes into spring training and performs the best gets the opportunity. And, and, I, and I give a lot of credit to Bobby for handling that, and I give him a lot of credit for having confidence in me throughout the season as a young guy to stick me in that rotation and, and uh, believe in me the whole season. So uh, definitely liked Bobby a lot and got along great with him. Were you were you at the game where he put on the disguise after he got thrown out, the mustache and glasses, or were you not on the team yet? No, no I wasn't there. I, <laughs> I wish I would have been. But, uh, yeah, you know, Bob, Bobby's such an outspoken guy, extremely intelligent baseball guy, extremely intelligent guy uh, in itself. And, and I think I think he was, um, you know, sometimes the kind of Hollywood side of him got or, or, you know, got him in trouble a little bit. But, uh, man, he was he, – he had some – some good stuff going on well what do you mean by the hollywood side of him exactly i i think he's you know he's he's outspoken he's, mm -hmm. he's never shies away from the media from the spotlight um i think that um maybe that caught up to him a little bit and uh you know when he went to boston um i don't know if he was able to regain that that clubhouse uh in the in that team like he did uh for us in new york um you know, and he's he's a tremendous manager. Uh, you know, going back to what he did in Japan. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's you know he's got a long, long history of of being a, a great major league manager and and uh, and guy. And and sometimes the end of the line just comes along and and it passes you by. And I think maybe that's the point where he got when he was kind of at the end of his managing career. Hey, you were living in Stamford. That is a bit of a hike. That's like an hour to hour and a half drive to uh, to Queens. Yeah, we had a few guys up there. Um, uh, Jay Payton lived up there. Uh, Todd Pratt lived up there. We had a handful of guys that um, lived up that way and made the commute. It, it was nice. It gives you kind of a, a sense of, um, you know, I guess just peace being out of the city a little bit. When you want to go to the city and see a show or go to dinner, you do that, and then you head back out. You know, I, I enjoyed that part of it. This was before the Uber days. So, I mean, you, you either had to get a car service, train, or just drive yourself back. Yeah, town car service was huge back then. That was the, no doubt because you didn't want to drive yourself in and out and fight the traffic. But you know, I did. I did drive myself back and forth every day and commute um, uh, from Stanford. And and the following year in two thousand one, some of my favorite commutes were when we had uh, Kevin Apier there, and Ape had a boat. And a handful of times we would drive his boat from Greenwich all the way down and dock it right there next to. Shay and uh, walked across the parking lot. That was pretty fun. Oh wow! At the, at the marina there. That's funny. Wow. Yeah. Kevin. Cool. Kevin Apier in two thousand one. Man, that again a Piazza moment that was special. And a, a moment that was special for New York is the homer ten days after nine eleven against the Braves. Um, I'm trying. I can't. I think, it wasn't Mulholland. It was a right hand pitcher. I forget who was. I think it was Steve Carsey. Might have been pitching. Um, yeah, it was Steve. Carsey. Yeah, Steve Carsey, and he hits that homer and just. I get chills every time I watch it. I mean, how special was that after such a travesty in New York? It, it was incredible. I mean, that that whole experience. Um, you know, I still get choked up when I when I go back and see some of the videos from, you know, what what was going on there, and and 
obviously the devastation in, the, in that city and all across the country that was going on at the exact same time we're supposed to be playing. And, and when we did come back and start playing again, it changed, it changed a lot. And I think the guys, any of the guys that were there, you know, Mets or Yankees that were, that were in that city at that time, I think we have a, maybe even a different perspective on it than anybody else. Um, and, you know, to, to see people actually having some sort of calm or some sort of healing uh, from us playing baseball was a pretty cool experience and something I never thought I would give back to fans in that respect. It's normally we just go out there and play and we don't think anything about it, but at that point in time it was pretty meaningful what we did. And you you had your probably your best run with the Mets. Did it, did it suck to kind of go to Milwaukee and um, go to a team that, I mean, wasn't as good and then – your numbers dipped a little bit in Milwaukee. I mean, what was that like, the transition from a winner to uh, to Milwaukee? It was tough. I mean, I think the you know, the first year there in Milwaukee I, I uh you know, had one of my best best years as far as, you know, the amount of starts and durability and going out and and uh grinding through it. Um and and then the second year there I struggled quite a bit and I I lost confidence mentally and that's that's really what kind of took me down but yeah it was a di- it was a difficult transition at first but I I really enjoyed my time in Milwaukee it's fun now to see them uh have some success over the past years and and uh you know be a playoff contender and, and everything because it's, it's a really great baseball town and that new stadium's beautiful and and uh, I really enjoyed my time there and it just it didn't work out personally as much, as well as I would have liked it to but it but it was still great did your career end how you want? You retired around 35 years old. Um, were you hoping to get to 40 or have a couple more years left in you? You know, I would have liked to keep pitching a little bit more. I, I kind of had the same thing happen to me two years in a row where I got designated for assignment, you know, a month and a half into the season by the Padres and then the following year by the by the Rockies. And at that point in time, I kind of felt like the odds were – stacked against me more than they were before to, to remain on a big league roster. And, you know, when you're a, a journeyman left-hander and you don't have above average stuff, it, it gets more and more difficult. You essentially have to be perfect to, to stay on a roster. Um, so I kind of felt like that was the right time for me to walk away. I, I'm sure I would have loved to pitch another few years because I was healthy and I felt like I was throwing the ball good, but it's tough when you, really really have to grind every single day just to just to stay on a roster when you've already you know had a long career so i I felt like it was a good time you were pretty much healthy for the majority of your career correct yeah i was i i you know didn't have any uh arm issues i didn't have any surgeries on my arm the only the only time i missed was i had a uh, pulmonary embolism i had a blood clot in my lung uh, at the very end of the season with the Cubs in 2006, and I missed a whole season in 2007, mm-hmm. uh, and then returned to play after that. Yeah, that, was that scary? Yeah, that was. That was uh, quite a, a life-changing experience to have something that serious. You don't expect it, obviously. Uh, being a young guy, being an athlete, you don't you don't anticipate something like that happening. But it gave me a good perspective on appreciating, you know, what I had done in my career and. You know, 18 months later, I decided I wanted to come back and pitch again, and I was able to come back and make the team with the Padres 
that year, and I did it again the next year with the Rockies. So I, I, I still felt like I accomplished a lot, even though maybe it wasn't a lot on the uh, statistical page. It was it was a good, um, you know, kind of a goal that I that I accomplished for myself. Yeah, and a shift to the bullpen there. We got a couple more minutes with Glenn and Rush, a dozen years in the major leagues with the Royals, Mets, Brewers, Cubs, Padres, Rockies. You're now the pitching coach of the advanced A Padres Lake Else Elsinore Storm. Um, how do you enjoy that role? And do you guys, what's the farm system looking like for the Padres? Because right now, obviously, the majors, uh, one, they're not doing great, but they're also in a ridiculous division with the Dodgers being 50 games over 500. Yeah, they're, it's, it's been tough up there um, with the Dodgers playing the way they have been. Um, our minor league system is full of big league arms uh and and it's been fun over the last three years now at the same spot seeing them come through and having uh being around a lot of these kids that are that are you know there's a handful of them in the big leagues right now for us that i've had over the last three years so that that's that's really a lot of fun and and we got some real good young ones coming behind them too so you know i think being in that division, uh, being at Petco Park, I think you really have to rely on good pitching and good defense. It's not an offensive division uh, for the most part, unless you're the Dodgers right now, which they'll make any division an offensive division because they're scoring a lot. Um, you you got to build around that, and that's what the Padres are doing. I think they've done a tremendous job uh, drafting and trading over the last few years uh, under A.J. Preller's regime i think they got a lot to look forward to over the next five years is your goal to become a major league pitching coach here in the next few years i would love to be a major league pitching coach at some point i think you know a lot of times the the natural path is to probably start as a bullpen coach somewhere in the big leagues um you know and a lot of that has probably more than even your resume has to do with having the right guy become a manager um you know whether it's one of your guys that you coached with before one of you guys that you played with that wants you on their staff that that probably has more to do with it than anything uh being on a big league coaching staff is is a lot of connections and relationships and hopefully at some point that'll work out for me is there a lot of politics too much politics i mean it seems like in all sports there is at some point but is the business side of it and the politics side of it difficult it it is i think i think there's definitely you know if you look at any coaching staff in the big leagues i think that you're going to have you know either it general the general manager and the manager have their guys that they um want on those staff so it's not necessarily always an open uh you know you don't go in and put in your resume and open interview process for some of those jobs so you know it takes time and you have to put in um put in time as a coach and you know hopefully at some point somebody uh would like to have you on their staff and it's I'm hoping that works out for me at some some point in time. Is anyone taking down the Dodgers this year? I mean, this is one of the best teams I've seen in baseball history. Well, I've I've said it the last couple of years that I had a feeling that they would get knocked out in the playoffs, and I don't know. I think this year it seems to be they're on a different path, but uh, we'll see what happens. I, I'll be really interested to see. Um, I think the Cubs will hold on and win their division. I definitely we know the the Nats are going to win theirs, whether they're not they're going to be healthy. Um, when it comes to playoff time, but Dusty, I, I have a huge 
spot in my heart for Dusty. I love him because I had him, and, and I think he's a tremendous manager and a tremendous leader. So I, I think they're going to be they're going to be tough in the playoffs too. So we'll see what happens. Everything changes when that 162 games is over and you're and you're competing in playoff time. So you know we we saw the Mariners do it the year they won all those games. They got knocked out in the ALCS in 2000. So you never know. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. Glennon Rush, former Major League pitcher and the current Storm Baseball Advanced Day, Lake Elsinore Storm pitching coach for the Padres. Glennon, uh, good taking a trip down memory lane with you and uh, enjoy the rest of this season and, and survive this solar eclipse today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Take care. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.